Okay, we are back to podcast, and I hope everyone's had a good day. We are thankful for the Lord, uh, for our services as always. Thankful for podcast and the ability, uh, technology, I guess. I've never been one to be uh, be real, real into technology, but, you know, where we are in uh, society... And uh, I'm thankful for being able to do podcasts and be able to get them out to everyone. I enjoy it. I listen to podcasts all the time throughout the week. And uh, it's it's a blessing to be able to have one ourselves. Okay, we're getting right into 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a great, great chapter. In fact, this when we're done with this chapter, it very well may be some of your favorite chapters in the Bible. It is a chapter, let me ask you this, if we were honest with ourselves, the greatest enemy that we face, of course Satan, but Satan is responsible for what we face and fear perhaps more than anything, and that is, that's death. Nobody wants to die, but you know, I always say for the Christian uh, the worst thing that can happen to you is the best thing that would ever happen to you, and that is, you know, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. In other words, we, we don't want to die. We don't want to leave our loved ones. We uh, we want all that life has to offer us. But should that happen, and and, and let me let me go back. <clears throat> Not should that happen. It's going to happen. We're going to die. I say that all the time. We are destined for dust. And I guess the preacher's job more than anything is to make sure folks are prepared for death. But I I don't want to prepare you necessarily for death. I do uh, always. And I hope everyone is prepared to, to face death. Here's what I want to say. I want to get you to the place where you don't fear it, where you don't fear it. And here's here's what I mean. That's what the Apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, this chapter about, is trying to let us know that the greatest enemy that we face, not just as believers, but as humans, human beings, the innate fear and dread of death and it's you know it's hit uh, I guess my extended family my children's uh, grand grandfather on the on their mother's side he passed you know this past uh, week and uh, the, the funeral was actually uh, Wednesday and and you know my heart and prayers and thoughts go out. Uh, to the family, that family, and uh, of course, part of my children's family on their mother's side. And so, I'm saying that to say this: we face it. We face death. Death is coming. It's hitting all of us. Some have faced it already. Some have faced it recently uh, in their in their homes and their their lives. We faced it in our church, and it's a dreaded thing. It's something that we don't want to go through, nor face. But what I want to do today 
is I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that we don't have to fear it. We may face it. We may go through it, but we don't have to fear it. Verse number one of 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And house not made with hands. This is the spiritual body that believers will receive at the resurrection. Okay? Our earthly house is our natural body. And it's referred to as a tent or a tabernacle in the sense that it's a temporary abiding place. The tents or the tabernacles were just temporary. They could be picked up and moved. And that's our earthly bodies. It is a temporary abiding place. It's a temporary residence for our souls, for us, for who we are. And then, and so what? That's what verse one says. It says, "If our earthly house of this tabernacle, this tent, if it folds, if it's dissolved, we have a building of God. So something that God, something else that God has made for us, house not made with hands. So not like my house or your house that we reside in. It's not made with hands." It's eternal in the heavens, so it's it's laid up, it's rested, it's restored for us. Now, I'm going to throw something out there. The reference to a mansion. The reference to a mansion. And there, there's no doubt we, we may very well have homes, and they'll probably be mansions, but... If, if the body that we carry around now, if the body that we have now is a tabernacle, if it's a tent, if it's temporary, the complete opposite of that would be a mansion. So we have a tent. We have a tabernacle now. A tabernacle was made of badger skins and poles and was movable. But what we're getting is going to be something laden with gold, something of high value, something made of God, a mansion. I personally, I personally believe that. <clears throat> the weather's perfect. No crime. You know, we, we're going to be made as God designed us. We can rest in the cool of the day. What do we need houses for what what are we going to need them for now we may have them but i'm not convinced that the reference to mansions is that of a a building structure that we will reside in i'm i'm more convinced that the referring referring to a mansion is the body that we have opposed to a tabernacle and these tabernacles are going to they're they're die they wear out they they're they're good for nothing by the time we're done with them and that's why I'm glad we've got something new coming to us verse 2 for in this we groan boy don't we some more than others <laughs> 
I'm kidding. I, I do. I groan when I get up and down now. My, you know, my knees are getting older. And that's about all I'll say about it. I'm not, I mean, you don't, we don't go, I don't believe in going on and on and on and on and on and on about ailments, man. Just, you, you do your best. You, you, you do what you got to, to do to get past it and, and you move forward. And I, I feel like sometimes you can talk yourself into, into making them worse or seemingly make them worse. But I will say I, I do my share of groaning at this point of of life but that's okay in this we groan <clears throat> earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven so there you go there is the scripture verses where i'm showing you and backing up my belief in that the refer- reference to the 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 mansion is going to be that of the glorified body a house which is from heaven, if so that being clothed we shall not be found naked. Nakedness is the result of sin. Do you remember that? Adam and Eve did not know they were naked until they had sinned and God had uh, confronted them. And those that that remain in their sins can never be clothed with this glorified body. So there is the reference to being naked. If so, be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. We are clothed, so we're not in our sin. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. So we groan because we're burdened with aches and pains and ailments and problems and failures and this body wearing out on us. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Okay? Mortality, to be mortal. Okay? What, what that mortal means, mean, it means you're, you are going to die. You're not going to live forever. A mortal body, a body that is living but will die. Okay, that's that's what we're seeing here. A body that is mortal. Alright? Let's go a step further. It's gonna get good. Now he that hath wrought us for the self same thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the spirit. There's that earnest verse again. You you all remember what an earnest earnest money is, don't you? I've taught on this before. Earnest is is it's almost like a down payment. It's except it's more even more secured, okay? You could possibly get a down payment back. You're not getting an earnest back. Therein lies the beauty of our uh, eternal security. God's not taking what he gives back. If he gives you salvation, he's not an Indian giver. He's not taking it back. If he gives you the spirit of God, he's not taking it back. Look at this. Now he that hath wrought for us the same self same thing as God, who also hath given unto us the earnest. Now, the earnest money <clears throat> will go to payoff, but it's not the entire payoff; it's a portion. So, what that means is, eventually, we're getting it all when God gives us the Spirit of God on the inside of our bodies. That is like earnest money; it is up front. 
with the promise that we're getting everything else in the future. Speaking of a house, it's all tied in. The whole world is run by the Bible, and they don't even realize it. And so look there. God's given us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are because He's given us the earnest of the Spirit, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. So... <clears throat> We're not presently with the Lord. The Lord is, the Spirit of God resides in us as the earnest of the Spirit. But I don't have Jesus sitting in this room with me right now. I know what people say. I know how spiritual they talk. We can talk to Him. We can fellowship with Him. We can experience Him. Thank God I've, I've felt some wonderful things before. But he's, I'm not looking at him sitting in the room with me. Okay? So we're not present with him physically speaking. Now, he is with us in the Spirit of God. But watch this. Therefore, we're always confident while we're at home, while, while, whilst we are home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So I don't have to see him in the room with me. Because I'm walking by faith. We are confident. So here's where our confidence lies. I say and willing rather to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. So currently I am in my body and I'm not with the Lord. But the very moment that I am absent from the body, I will be present with the Lord. My soul will be present from with the Lord. So that Holy Spirit that resides in us, guess what portion of our body, our tabernacle, it resides in? It resides in our soul. Therefore, when our soul leaves our body, that Holy Spirit, that earnest money leaves as well. To go be with God. And when that happens at death, people always wonder, you know, at what point do you go to heaven? At what point, you know, do you go, do you sit, do you sleep there? No, that's, you, you will resurrect with, you will reconcile, resurrect with a glorified body at the rapture. But you're not waiting on the rapture upon death to be with Jesus. That Bible says right there, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. So what we do, we do that Christ may accept the work that we do. Now, here's a great motivating verse, a verse of our, of our lives, a, ver- a verse of our motivation a verse of what we are. Watch this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You see that right there. The judgment seat. Now that comes from the term Bema. All right. The Bema seat was a was a place of judgment. All right. If you go to if you look at the Olympics, which I don't I've never been an Olympic fan. You know, I certainly am not watching them in China. I can promise you that. I'm I'm not watching them at all anymore. But I never was one. But I, I do know what they're about. I do know how it unfolds. 
And I know at the end, when they are presented with their medals, they are presented um, in front of everyone. Now, this is intimidating a little bit. With the stadium around them, that's what Paul has in mind. You remember, Paul loved sports. Paul loved the games, the references to the racing, the references to wrestling, the wrestling to boxing, beateth against the air. Over and over again, Paul makes reference to games, to competition. The judgment seat is no different. He is referring to the judgment seat of Christ. Now, do you remember the great cloud of witnesses as if they're looking on? Again, it all ties together. So the idea of the judgment seat is the fact that, do you recall when Olympic uh, athletes get their medals, they are standing on those platforms and they're presented, that is actually the judgment seat. That is the Bema seat. That is a Roman custom from the Roman games, straight from the Roman Colosseum. And the Bible is teaching us that that is the analogy that Paul is making where God has inspired him of what the judgment seat of Christ will be. Now, first thought, that's intimidating. Everyone watching, everyone seeing, everyone knowing, everyone hearing. Yeah, but the other thing is this. Ain't none of us going to fare no better than nobody else. Do y'all got that? Do y'all, y'all got that? You, I, I'm not faring better than you. You're not faring better than me. You got that? That person you dislike? You don't like the way they live. You don't like the way they act. Guess what? You ain't faring much better than them. And they ain't faring much better than you. We all need Jesus. We all need hope and help. And so the idea for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in their neighbor's body. No, you're not going to give account for another church member. You're not going to give account for your husband. You're not going to give an account for your wife. You're not going to give an account for your children. You will give account for how you parented. You will give account for how you were in that in the marriage. You will give account for the type of church member that you were, but you will not give account for what those folks did and how they acted. Only your response to it. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So it's judgment day. Good, bad, whatever it is, you got it coming. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Because of this, this is a, a fearful thing. It is an intimidating thing. It is a dreadful thing. And Paul said, because of that, I live every day trying to persuade men to come to Jesus Christ. But we are made manifest unto God. What we are is manifest to God. It, to be made manifest is to be open, to not be in secret, to not be hid. We are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are manifest in your conscience. 
For we commend ourselves, not ourselves, again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that we may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. So Paul says here, what we do, we do out of a motivation of standing before Jesus and a love of God and a love of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we do what we do. Now, verse 14, this is another one of my favorite verses in the Bible. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. He says, look, Although we've got the judgment seat of Christ, although we we're going to give an account in this body, I'll tell you what constrains me to do right and constrains me to not do wrong. I'll give you that answer. What is it? It is the love of Christ. The love of Christ is that constraining power to make me want to do right and prevent me from wanting to do that which is wrong. To work and act and live out of a pure heart, not out of a out of a manipulative heart, not out of a, a manipulative objective, but just out of complete purity of heart. Okay, and that he died for all, or that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto them which died for them and rose again. That we shouldn't live for ourselves. That's what Paul said. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. I like this. Verse 17, 2 Corinthians five seventeen, one of the greatest verses in the Bible. This is the new birth. This is who and what we are upon being born again. Okay? This is why new birth must take place. Watch this. Watch this verse. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, any man, if you're saved, if you are a saved person, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Anybody saved, anybody born again, anybody in Jesus Christ, we are new creatures. Now, verse 18, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. To reconcile means what was once separate has now been brought together. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That is the doctrine of imputation. Imputation means that I am, I am transforming. I am counting what was once mine as yours. So he is not imputing sins and trespasses upon us. He is imputing his righteousness upon us. And so that is what being a new creature in Christ is about. We once were full of sin. We once were sinful people. We once 
were were damned to hell over our sins and because we were sinners. But then when we became a new creature in Christ, those sins were not imputed to us anymore. His righteousness is imputed to us. That's the doctrine of imputation. We don't go to heaven by our righteousness, by what we are, by what we've done. The judgment seat of Christ is not to judge whether you're saved or lost. Do you see that? That is the context. This is to save people. The judgment seat of Christ is to judge the acts that have been done in your body, not your soul. That would be the great white throne judgment, and that is for, the idea is that it's for everybody. At one time, I, I believe that it was just for lost people. I feel, because it says the, the dead, small, and great, so everyone. But the great white throne, saved people have no fear of it because we're already saved. The lost people stand before the great white throne to be cast into hell forevermore. So there's a chance that we'll be there, maybe not be not, not so much on trial at that point, but they're present to, to, to at least be a witness to these events. So not on trial. Our sins are already been on trial and they, they got cast out on Calvary and now we're not guilty. But at least present for it. But the, the judgment seat is just for saved people. It's not for lost people. Theirs is the great white throne judgment. Now watch this. Verse number 19, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses. What, and let, let me just back, back up. When I said that we that at one time I, I didn't feel like we were present during the great white throne, I, did, I thought we wouldn't even be uh, in the, the area. But all indications, if you read in Revelation uh, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, uh that the indications are that yes indeed we we're present we're not on trial for our sins that is the lost people but we are at the very least present for that event of the great white throne okay and so that's for lost people to stand trial for their soul to be cast into hell the judgment seat of Christ is for saved people to have the deeds that's been done in our bodies either rec- either commended by God or not. All right. Verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Right there, right there. That's the gospel. That's the judgment seat. That's imputation. That's the reason we do not fear death. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? This entire lesson is, is, is titled No Fear Over Death. Now, Why can we not have fear over death? Verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made. It was an 
imputation. It was a it was a change. It was a change in function. It was a change in operation. And and the fact of the matter is this. We were sinners. We were lost. We were undone without God. And we were doomed and damned to hell because of that. And the only hope that we had was Jesus Christ. And I, I hear... He took upon himself the sin. He did. He took upon himself our sins. But it goes deeper than that. It goes much deeper than that. It's actually he that knew no sin became sin for us. He didn't just take upon our sins. He became sin for you and I that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That, ladies and gentlemen is why we have no fear of death. This is 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, and I hope you've enjoyed it. It's a great chapter, full of great verses in this particular book of the Bible. I love you all. I'll see you Wednesday. Have a great week. 2 Corinthians 5, no fear of death. Good night, and I love each one of you.